When I was a medical student, I wasn't sure if my faith had a place in the way I would practice medicine. I needed to see this done well, to have it modeled for me in order to overcome my hesitation and fears. Through their example and friendship, the members of the Catholic Medical Association have inspired me and showed me that yes, this can be done. Come and see how Novus Medicus, the young members of the Catholic Medical Association, can provide you with a sense of belonging and challenge you to use your gifts as a faithful Catholic in the medical community. Visit our website, novusmedicus.org, to connect with us today and start your journey to live out your faith to the fullest in the calling of medicine. Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Chris Stroud and Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant and health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. We had so much with this topic last time that we're returning to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network to discuss and answer questions posed by pre-medical and nursing students. But first, I want to pose a question to you guys. That's what I get paid to do here. Actually, I don't get paid to do it, but I like to do it. Chris, what's one thing that you wish you had known about medical school when you were in college? That's funny. I, th I think there are two things. You know me. I can't say one. The, the one thing I wish I had understood better <laughs> is you've you've already won by getting in. Ah. You know, the race is over. And so stop trying to win. You've already won. If you've arrived, it's very hard, as I think one of us said last time, to get kicked out of medical school. Uh, and so relax, you're, you're there, you're going to finish medical school, you're going to get a good medical education. The, the competition should be, but it's not over. I wish I'd understood that. But then quite frankly, and not to sound too cheesy, I wish I'd known Jesus in medical school. I didn't, ah. uh, I wasn't a believer. And as a result, I can say now in retrospect, I really had no foundation. I really had no direction. So everything was reactionary. Yes. This rotation was bad. This course was good. Go this way, go that way. No real sense of mission and direction and purpose um, that's lacking. So hopefully our listeners and the medical students and pre-medical students that are asking us these questions have already overcome that hurdle. Yes. And then they can use that as the foundation and the lens through which to really answer all of these complicated questions. What about you, Andrew? What's one thing you wish you had known in college? You know, I guess uh, I didn't think about medical school that much in college. I I thought, you know, hey, when I get there, I'll figure it out. Um, wow. I guess early in medical school, though, the thing that I wish I would have known is uh, it's it's going to get better. <laughs> I don't know. If it can get, only get better. It can only get better. It's a marathon, not a sprint, right? <laughs> I mean, I at least that first year where it's all the book learning. Um, you know, for me, I was living by myself. It, it was just kind of a place where like, man, this is not all that fun at mm. all. Um, I, I remember reading an article one time where it was like 85% of medical students are clinically depressed. Mm. And uh, I believe it. What happened to know? the other 15? <laughs> I know, I don't know what they're doing, but something. But uh, I guess the thing that I always encourage early medical students and maybe people who are kind of prospectively looking at it is that every step gets better mm. the books if you if you can get through and enjoy it for what it's worth and then you get to start talking to patients then you start getting to help people and uh, every little bit looks more and more like a job you might want to sign up for mm. so if, if it's a bad semester or something and you can struggle through just know that it'll get better well turnabout's fair play tom what about you i'm kind of the opposite of andrew <clears throat> Yeah, but what about this question, though? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, 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 I see. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. So I wish in college I had known that I wouldn't enjoy seeing patients. Oh. Oh, man. I had no idea. I loved all the, the basic science. I loved the physiology, how everything works. And I did not spend any time shadowing doctors to see what it's like to see patients. Mm. And once I did... And I never verbalized this to anybody. I didn't enjoy it. It's like, oh my gosh, I've just made a world-class mistake for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm bought into this army scholarship I've got to pay back because they were paying my way to med school. And I didn't enjoy it, but I just buried it yeah. for years. And only now, almost 60 years old, am I coming around to the point where, yeah, I'm enjoying it. 
So my recommendation would be make sure that you see what doctors do, that mm. you follow and see patients and that, yeah, this is something you want to do. And you might like medicine, but there might be something else you don't want to do. I, I mean, I know some people who say, yeah, I don't people very well. Well, you probably shouldn't be clinically taking care of patients then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, you know, this is part of the challenge, I think, with the career path is that you, you sign up for something some four to 15 years in advance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's almost like making scotch. Right, so you're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're trying to decide. Hope we have the right amount of rain this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I feel for these college students that are trying to decide do they want to do something because let's face it, you get halfway through medical school and decide you don't like it. There's not a lot of terrific career options open to yeah, you. Yeah, you get through the first no. week. Yeah. You took out 50 grand in loans so you can't pay back yeah. and you say, I'm here. <laughs> and I could be wrong, but I'm not sure that's as big a problem in other profession lines. But I would agree with you, Tom. Invest as a as a college student, even as a high school student. Yes. Invest in getting around doctors or, or whoever it is that you're thinking about emulating. Spend some time with them and not just maybe in their business setting, but find out what their home life is like. Find out yes. what their spouse thinks about their decision. Uh, really get to know that decision before you make it because uh, you're there. Once you're there, it's hard to not be there. Well, Chris, you had a suggestion for another first quarter question. Oh, yeah. What do you remember? What's that one thing that stands out uh, to you about medical school and retrospect, Andrew? I thought Tom was getting this question. <laughs> no, I just went, so let's turn it back over to you, Andrew. Um, you know, I I think the thing that probably stands out the most to me is just the the breadth of things. Um, even in family medicine, this is was supposed to be the the specialty with the most breadth, which I really enjoyed. But over time, you do tailor things to things that work best for you, mm -hmm. needs of the community, etc. When when you're a medical student, you do a little bit of everything, and especially really even more into residency when you're uh, running codes in the hospital mm -hmm. and first assistant and all the surgeries and whatnot. So that that was probably something that stood out the most to me, that when people had a problem, it's like, okay, I, I'm the only guy to fix it. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously you got people helping you, but that was really cool. I really enjoyed that. I miss it a little bit. Um, there's some advantages for not getting up at night to deliver babies like Chris does. <laughs> so uh, we all find the place we're in, but that was something that stood out to me. Tom, what about you? You know, just thinking back on it, how hard it was. Mm. It was just so hard. And I think it was not so much the studying, it was the having to be constantly on, having to be constantly up on this subject or ready to present to this resident when you're, you know, seeing patients. It was just a slog, at least for me it was. But, you know, I could go into why it was so hard for me. And, you know, I was uh, an excellent student. I, academics were not hard for me. And yet, um, I, I think having a community of people around you that cares about you is so important mm. when you're going through this. I don't think anybody can do it alone. So, yeah, yeah there's not just one thing that stands out. Um, it's just, wow, I'm glad I don't have to live that part of my life again. <laughs> I mean, I feel the same way. I mean, medical training, at least for me, was very, I think the word is toxic now. You know, people oh. say, talk about being triggered. Uh, <laughs> it's just, there. there is a lot of, uh, like you said, you always have to be on. And, and my mindset got a lot better um, after I well, got, you were married. I got married after my oh. first year. And then talk about community. That was a huge blessing, just having Veronica with me. But then also, as you kind of reorient, at least for me, I tried to reorient, like, okay, clearly there, there are expectations that are not possible to meet. So my job is, somebody shared this to me kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I liked it. I don't have to be faster than the bear. I just have to be faster <laughs> than you. And, uh, Good advice. After, after I keyed up to that, I said, oh, man, I'm actually going to be fine. I'm going to be okay. Uh -huh. That's my benchmark. It's not being faster than the bear. <laughs> and uh, my life got way better after that. It's funny. Now, I'm the oldest, and so it's been the longest no, since no, I was you're old. not. Oh, I keep thinking I am. Yeah. <laughs> you are younger than me by a little bit, Chris. <laughs> I probably have some you know, selective amnesia. But, I mean, sitting here, the thing that I remember the most about medical school I can, as I listen to you two say those things, I can remember those things and would agree completely. Um, but what I remember, at least favorably, is the camaraderie. 
Uh, you know, I, I lived with a bunch of medical students, mm. and um, because of college, the rigors of college, didn't get to have a lot of great relationships in college. But in medical school, I had some terrific relationships with people that I still know that were just phenomenal people, and we, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> we, had, we had a great time, all of the other problems notwithstanding. See, how'd you get th- – that's a good question. Maybe that might be a good goal for people entering training. My experience was just the opposite. So mm-hmm. I had really good friends in college um, that I, I really enjoyed. And I part of it, I went to a Catholic college, so we had a lot in common to begin right. with. Medical school, obviously, you're in the trenches. So it's kind of the, uh, you know, no atheists in foxhole mentality <laughs> that, you know, we're all suffering together. Uh, so there's a yeah. camaraderie there. How do you develop those friendships, especially in medical training where, let's face a lot of people you hang out with are not going to be people that uh, you see eye to eye with on things. Yeah, I was really fortunate, I suppose. But it started that summer of gross anatomy. You know, the medical school I went to started in the summer instead of the fall. Oh. And got to be really close friends with anatomy partners. Cool. And, you know, we didn't even have that many shared interests because I had – I was forced to study so hard to get in that I didn't really have a life to get in. And uh, then I was in and and was hooked up with these anatomy partners that were fun-loving, um, you know, people that enjoyed everything. And I think I learned a little bit there about sort of a enjoy the moment, maybe, philosophy. And, uh, and that's probably good advice to students as they start. You know, life doesn't just stop for four years. It goes on, or at least it should go on. It's going to go on with or without you. Yeah, everybody else just does it. That's, yours. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so enjoy those four years of medical school or, or dental school or wherever it is that you end up doing. Don't say, well, you know, I'll smile when this is over. Uh, you know, smile today because you don't know about tomorrow. I'm noticing. I think we're, we we might be putting a, a rain cloud over some folks <laughs> well, with all this because well, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's no sugarcoating it. I mean, it's it's a tough a tough thing, but. In the end, I mean, the the underlying thing is I'd do it again. But you know, you the know. parent the parent in me says, actually, this is really good advice, regardless whether you go into medical school or accounting, you know. And that would be, I think, enjoy the journey. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing came to my mind, a, a little ray of sunshine within there. So, in medical school, realizing I needed a community, what did I do? I created one by founding a young adult singles ministry at this Catholic parish. Oh, cool. Uh, and who did I found it with but the woman who ended up becoming my wife. So <laughs> when a smooth move, Tom. <laughs> so, uh, when, yeah, I operationalized it, right? <laughs> so when um, I was in the hospital all night, it must have been third year medical school, and, um, you know, I had just enough money to get by. And uh, my at the time girlfriend had a a key to my my vehicle no we did not live together (laughs) but uh she did have a key to my vehicle and she went when she knew i was on call she found where i parked my vehicle on the streets of rochester minnesota took it to a gas station filled it up it was (laughs) nearly empty parked it right back where it was when i went out the next day my gas tank is full of gas it's like (laughs) ha this was there an angel involved here? Mm-hmm. It was like, oh my goodness! So memories like that are just golden. Yes, there was an angel, yeah. and you married her, right? Oh, thanks be to God. Well, with that, we better move on to this episode's trivia question. Yeah, last time our category dealt with medical students, so this time I thought we'd give a shout out to nurses. So the category is nursing isn't for wimps. The appropriate follow-on for our conversation. <laughs> yes. So a late 2022 survey of 4,500 nurses nationwide revealed many of the challenges of the current nursing shortage. According to the survey results, I want you to answer three questions. And they're both, they're all percentages. That is, what percent of nurses in the previous year had a patient tell them that they refused to allow that person to be their nurse? It's like, Mm. nope, not gonna let you come and take care of me. Mm. That's one. Second, what percent of nurses in the prior two years had been verbally assaulted? by a patient. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know the third one's going to be what percent of nurses in the prior two years had been physically assaulted by a patient. So those those three things, patient refused to have that nurse be their nurse for the shift, had been verbally assaulted, had been physically assaulted. But we'll be back with the answers to that near the end of the show. But after this break on Dr. Doctor, we'll be back answering questions from pre-med students. Well, welcome back to Dr. Doctor, and we're talking today 
about uh, the questions that were asked of us by all sorts of pre-medical students, be it nursing or otherwise. And so um, let, let's start. There was a really good question, Tom, about Catholic groups within medical institutions of any sort. And are there any like the Catholic Medical Association? And if they're not, how do you go about starting one, given that your story about starting a ministry while you were in medical school? Well, the Catholic Medical Association <coughs> has an active group of uh, students. Uh, they're pretty incredible. They're well organized across the country. And uh, they've renamed themselves as a community within the Catholic Medical Association is Novus Medicus, mm -hmm. which is Latin for the new doctor, the new physician. But they welcome all pre-medical uh, trainees. So for information, you can simply go to the, the website novismedicus.org. They also have an Instagram account, uh, hashtag novismedicus. That might be the first time I said hashtag on the air. <laughs> my, my kids will probably roll their eyes at me, but that's okay. I thought that was a pound sign. That, that's what I thought. Well, I thought it was a tic-tac-toe board, but yeah. you know, who knows? What's the hash got to? I don't know. That would be something else. So, But anyway, do most medical campuses have a Catholic group? I mean, this is something that the students at the, the SEEK conference at Focus held earlier this year really wanted to know. And there's probably between 30 and 40 active ones in the country. There's also availability uh, virtually, uh, but uh, you know, Andrew, how? What's your experience and knowledge of when, whether there's good Catholic communities? This is something you know. One of the students asked, "What medical schools have good Catholic communities?" Yeah, I and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I could recommend any medical schools as having a great Catholic mm. community. I I think from a Intrinsic to the medical school itself. Intrinsic, because there's you hear about the medical schools that are at Catholic schools, you know, or nominally Catholic schools, and uh, well, and that was even one of our questions: Is it worth, so to speak, trying to find a Catholic medical school uh, or a Catholic nursing school? Uh, I mean, it's a great question. I'm not sure. I I'm not sure. I know how. To I, I could that. answer that with nursing school. I mean, we just right. recently had the episode mm -hmm. uh, with the head of the department at Belmont Abbey, and yes. There clearly are excellent Catholic nursing schools. Yeah, I'd, I'd draw a distinction there, too. I think for a nursing school, you've got a lot of good options mm -hmm. of, of truly Catholic schools. For medical school— You really don't. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the applicants I've talked to felt that they, <laughs> it, the more Catholic you are, some of these Catholic medical schools actually didn't want you. <laughs> mm. wow. If, if you weren't, weren't uh, beating the drum in, in their way in ways that a lot of Catholics would find disgusting. And so I think you might even find a more welcoming community among some of the Protestant medical schools because they're very serious about their faith in the Bible, mm. um, less so some of the Catholic medical schools. But that's a distinction, as you said, Tom, with the, the Catholic groups there. The best way to find a good Catholic group is to to talk to students who are really there. Talk mm -hmm. to students who are in the CMA. Ask about right. the groups of students <clears throat> when you're there interviewing. Um, if you don't have a person who can introduce you and say, hey, yeah, this is a good group, uh, it, it's probably unfortunately not there. Mm. That's an excellent point. Another question they had, and I'll, we'll bop this one over to you, Chris, is, is it harder to get into surgery or challenging subspecialties that are competitive as a DO student, a doctor of osteopathy? Yeah, great question. And not for an instant would I hold myself out as a as a osteopathic expert. <laughs> uh, now, I practice with uh, three other physician partners. Interestingly, two of them are DOs. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm an MD. I don't know a lot about osteopathic education. But what I would say is both of them, first, both of them are excellent physicians and surgeons. And I think maybe some of that that bias maybe against osteopathic physicians um, is of yesteryear yes. and is long gone. The military makes no distinction and really never, never did. Uh, and I think today there's really minimal, if any, distinction. If you're an excellent candidate, you're going to be fine. If you're not excellent, it doesn't matter what the initials are. And they're in the same residency pool match, right? In, in most cases, yeah. yeah. Sometimes the boards are a little different. Sometimes they have dual boards. Uh, one of my partners is dual boarded. Um, so I think it, it varies. But personally, I know osteopathic orthopedic surgeons, and that's a very competitive specialty. Uh, I really don't think it matters. Now, I think as a caveat to that, when I listen to my two partners talk about their medical education, I'm a bit jealous. Yes. Uh, I, they know so many more things than I know. And I really wish that I had learned some of those things, or at least been exposed to them. Yeah, the, the way that, that hands-on right. manipulation is like, wow, I wish I had something like that. Yeah, that I a could more do. holistic sort of total body 
total health approach to disease. I wish I'd come away with a better understanding of that. And I think there's a couple advantages to the DO line of training as well, because there's DO residencies that MDs can't apply for, mm. but the MDs welcome the DO students into their residency. So especially More if options. you're going for something really competitive, orthopedic surgery, I think almost the DO route, you probably have a stronger chance just statistically. Interesting. Yeah, when I was in my dermatology residency, a couple of the, and it, it was the hardest residency to get into at the time in the military, Two of my classmates were DOs. Um, in my current practice, our plastic surgeon's a DO, and no one thinks any different about doctors now, at least in my community, our community, uh, because of that. So I don't think it really, really matters. Yeah, good point. If it does matter, the person's probably a snob, so just <laughs> doesn't, <laughs> doesn't count. Oh, let's see. What do we have here? So here's questions again. What would you say to a student navigating pro-life ethics slash so-called women's rights in a nursing program that's 95% women? And, and, and this student, I feel for her deeply. It's hard to not feel like the weird one out when all your other classmates seem to be against your morals. Mm. Yeah, great question. I'm sure she would love me sharing her experience, but uh, my daughter's a nursing student and uh, has relayed often having some, some of these experiences. Mm. And I think she probably decided early on um, that it was going to be fun and it was going to be a chance to evangelize. Um, but the eye rolling, oh, you're a Catholic. What do you mean you're not taking contraception? Things like this. Mm -hmm. I think she would probably say she just sees it as an opportunity to evangelize even without necessarily saying anything, just by being there day after day, showing up, living your values. Yeah, you're gonna stand out, but aren't we kind of called to stand out as Christians? So bring it, that would be my advice. <laughs> yeah, I think, and you know, it, it won't always be that way too. I mean, that's something I would focus on. A lot of times training and academia inherently uh, less in touch with reality. Mm. <laughs> and, and so after you get out and you get a job, you're going to gravitate to a place where, where people appreciate you. And there's a lot of places, I know the community we live in, I'd say many people, if not most people, have have very similar general worldviews. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not other parts of the country, but that's why I'm here and not there. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, speaking of worldviews, Andrew, a lot of times you're our medical ethics legal expert. So, <laughs> you know, several students have asked, you know, what so-called protections do you have as a student or as a professional from from doing certain things in, in a learner setting, especially for this discussion. Yeah, I would say you have an awful lot of protections. So on other shows, we've gone through the four big ones, the Coat Snow, the Weldon Amendments, whatnot, where you cannot be coerced into cooperating with abortion care. So most of the, the straight legal protections you have are surrounding the abortion issue. Um, Less, less obvious legal protections with contraception, but there's still the, the national uh, religious freedom protection that Clinton, I think, signed back in the 90s. Yes. And, um, and really, even more than that, there's a couple of things you gotta remember. When you're a student, uh, although, although from a surgical perspective, you can cooperate, from a prescriptive perspective, you can't do anything. You don't have the ability. Yeah, you, you aren't signing anything, you're not helping anything, so I, I think from a, prescription, because I'm thinking of myself with contraception, it's ubiquitous in training and um, and you really have to know the stuff because if they get wind that you don't do it, they're gonna ask you even more questions. <laughs> uh, so you really gotta know your stuff, but when it comes down to it, you're not gonna be forced to participate in anything you don't want to. If somebody tried to with abortion, you have plenty of legal protection. And the last thing any kind of training program wants is a student who says that you're violating my rights. Because mm. they get that all the time well, with other stuff. In and, fact, I know. heard from a friend of mine who's at a world-renowned institution that will remain nameless on this episode, but even at this institution, they pretty much keep hands off of the active Christian Catholic students. They pretty much let them Yeah, the last thing themselves. you want is to be in some big lawsuit <laughs> with one of these religious freedom funds, you know. No school wants that. Right. And then, know. I know we touched on it last time, but you remind me, Andrew, thinking of that student, that learner, you know, th that's the time for humility. Yes. Uh, you need to know the content better than the student next to you. But you really need to approach your teacher 
in whatever setting with a great deal of humility. Yes. Uh, you're, you're, you don't yes. want to be attitudinal. You don't want to be nasty about it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to lecture about it. Uh, humble yourself and, and express your problems and your willingness to do something else. Uh, and I, I think overall you're going to do well. I, I think this might be a great distinction to draw with the evangelization question from uh, the nursing school. That's a good point. Because I'll tell you, in my mind, there's never a good time to educate your attending physician when you're in medical school or residency. <laughs> never a good time. That's a, that's something that it doesn't matter. Maybe you could have any number of knowledge on topics that they don't know. Uh, keep it to yourself. And so I, I think you're going to do a lot better evangelizing by your actions. And if you're the first one there and you score well on tests and you work hard, and they find out this about you, they'll say, hmm, that's kind of quirky, but uh, (laughs) I really like them. They're my best students. Yeah, we might say evangelize through humility. Yes. Maybe maybe that's the way. Yes, and you're going to leave a a bigger impression than trying to lock horns with somebody who admittedly is your boss like times 10. Yeah, I think think several episodes where the phrase that I I deplore, evidence-based, where, you know, someone will come up to me and they'll say, look, I have a thousand articles that I've printed here, and they all say that you're an idiot. You know? <laughs> um, that's not going to change my mind. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to put up walls and I won't hear anything else you say. So I think you're right. Trying to educate your educator, never a good idea. Yeah, no. And for uh, confidence for students, we're going to ask our wonderful producer, Andrea, Andrea, to post in the show notes uh, a link to a brochure that the Alliance for Defending Freedom has put out for those in medical uh, training. Uh, so it's a legal guide for medical professionals. It has all nice. those things listed in it and uh, might give you a little more confidence going in. Very nice. Uh, and uh, one more question before we take our break. Uh, and this was, I think, an interesting one, but I know we have priests who listen. And somebody asked, who was in our audience in St. Louis at the C conference, what advice would you have for a priest who serves as a campus chaplain and a hospital chaplain? for instance, at a medical school. What could he do to help medical students? Oh, that's That's an interesting question. Yeah. That's really good. The first thing I think of is, um, because it seems like often the chaplains, the priests who get these chaplain assignments are often young in their ministry. Yes. Uh, Maybe that's just my bias, but it seems like the younger priests tend to get those jobs. Um, They're demanding, and maybe that's why. But I would counsel those priests to to not be fooled by the appearances of the students acting like they're just fine. Um, because I think in many cases they're not just fine. And, um, and and to dig a little below the surface because they're they're afraid, they're probably hurting. We, we live in a broken world. Uh, and to not be a fool by those appearances because I think we all know professionals who have struggled that if the chaplain were right there, they could have intervened and really made a difference. Yeah, I I would have two big points based just on our discussion today. I'd say one, community. Mm -hmm. Um, If if there's an option for Catholic community that that doesn't exist, these folks are really hungry for it. Um, Be be a leader there as the chaplain. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge opportunity. Um, And I, you know, I'm thinking of some of our, our friends that, I'm thinking one of my friends that went to medical school and she was part of a book club, a Catholic book club led by a priest. And they got to meet once a week or whatever. I'm like, man, I would have killed for that. Yes. Uh, didn't have, I wish I did. Number two is if you're a chaplain at a hospital and you, you know you're talking to people in the medical profession here in confessions, be bold and ask mm. a little bit about some of this stuff. Um, ask if, if it's a prescriber that's evident, evident to you. Ask if they've participated in abortion or contraception because I think a lot of people kind of wander through thinking that this is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a huge opportunity that I think many of our priests are passing on, mm-hmm. unfortunately, to call people to task. And I, I think these people are good people. They just need somebody to lead them to to be confident to do what they need to do. Well said. Well, and on that note, we're going to take our required break here on Dr. Doctor and be back with more answers to more questions. We're back with the third segment of this episode of Dr. Doctor. Next question from pre-medical students. How do you deal with tough ethical scenarios as a Catholic? And I'm assuming they're meaning in our professional lives. Do either of you have those? <laughs> I was hoping Andrew would pipe right up with an answer. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like they come up all the time. Um, and the 
the thing you got to think about is twofold. One, I'm here to serve. Um, and as we kind of talked about before, being a witness, you know. And then number two, you don't you don't want to actually fight with people. <laughs> you want to love people. Because I, I think that's a temptation when you're like, oh, you, that is incorrect. Um, so one of the things I get all the time uh, is requests for referrals in family medicine hmm. for, for whatever oh. it may be. Now, since I finished training, my practice is, is overtly Christian, so we don't get a lot of abortion requests. Mm -hmm. But we do get requests for things like transgender type stuff and requests for a common one is vasectomies. We have a lot of little babies in our practice. So a common question is about vasectomies. Um, and so the thing that I found trying it different ways, the mm -hmm. best way to do it is to, to meet them with charity and just being very upfront. Mm. Like, oh man, you know, as in regard to the vasectomy thing, like we're a religious practice. Uh, I'm not into that. I don't think it's good. Did you know it doubles your chance for divorce? You know, <laughs> um, so I, I can, we don't pr provide those. I'd be happy to help you any other way I can, you know, do you have other questions? And I've had numerous people tell me, hey, thank you for being so upfront about mm -hmm. it, not cagey or anything, because that's the temptation, because you're insecure about it. The other one we get an awful lot is Viagra for unmarried people. Mm -hmm. Ah, sure. And, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of weird to, to probe into, tell me about your relationship <laughs> when guys, like, they worked up a lot of confidence to ask for Viagra. In the first place, yeah. Yeah, and so then when you're talking to them about it, you're like, tell me about your relationship. And um, I, I always just you know, kind of ask them if they don't, they usually volunteer. I'm like, are you married or not? If they're no, I'm like, well, you know, look, I don't think it's good to have sex unless you're married. And so if you marry her, come on back. I'd be happy to help. Otherwise, no. Yeah, I, I take the same approach. And somebody I, got married and came back. So <laughs> you won they did. One. They did. And I said, <laughs> it's hey. It's a victory for the kingdom. This, this is awesome. So, <laughs> yeah, I like that work. approach. I, I try to, I think you've got to be uber transparent, just like you said. Uh, and you can be funny about it and lighthearted. You know, I would say something like, you know, I just don't, I just don't like the idea of mutilating your genitals just to manage your family size. Yeah. And then I'll say, but you know, I'm a wacky Catholic. That's that's how <laughs> I feel. There's plenty of people that think that's okay, and you can find them. I'm just not one of them. Um, yes. But I think your point, if you put it right out there at the beginning, don't try to hide it. Don't present data on the evils of birth control pills, and then let them find out after the fact. Oh, he's one of those people. That's why he said that. No, that stuff is all true, regardless of my religious position. But get your position out there in the beginning. Yeah, give them the punchline right up front. And then if they want to engage more, let them lead that. Yeah. There's there's no reason to, to try and argue with them. Do they ever engage more? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Mm. Sometimes they ask, like, why is that? You know, I'm a whatever my denomination or atheist or whatever. Why do you feel that way? And so talk about, you know, being ready to give a reason for your hope. Yes. Yeah, and and in this situation, uh, whatever data you can muster. But by the time you get into it, I mean, you've been challenged enough on it. Yep. Usually, at least for me, in training and residency early on, you get a shtick together really quick. I think uh, I, I distinctly remember once there was a rather powerful kind of uh, patient. I won't say her profession, but it wasn't medicine. And um, <laughs> she had a toddler older toddler with her in my office and the toddler was pointing to the crucifix over my door there's one over every door in our office and um the mother said to the toddler oh he's a catholic and he thinks that's jesus and, <laughs> he thinks uh, yeah and the toddler looked at me and said really and i said Yep. <laughs> and we moved on. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, was, that was my evangelization. Thinks that's Jesus. Yeah. What did that mean? But, but I, I mean, I, I listened to your, to your points, Andrew. I think this is not the time and the place for a debate. That's not why you came. Yes. And uh, yeah, yeah I, you know, it's fine. Let's move on. Well, and I think also when you're early on, people are terrified about any kind of friction with patients. Conflict, yeah. But yes, uh, yes. I hate to tell you, that is most of your patients for the rest of your life. And it's not all bad friction, it's good friction. If, if they already knew nature. what they wanted, you know, they would do it. You know, they're coming for your advice. So there's a lot of education through love and humility. And so dodging friction is a terrible goal. Mm. I would not lean into that. You, you want to lead, meet people where they're at, and always in charity. Mm. Where were you guys in my career 30 years ago to tell me those things? Oh, <laughs> I, been, I've dodged friction so much. It's only recently that I, I do it less. And that is good advice. Listen to these wise men. 
those of you out there. Uh, so I think you just answered even the next question. So let's go on. Someone asked, could you speak about praying with patience? Is it allowed? <laughs> do you only do it with people you know are Christian? <laughs> this is this is a Chris one. That's funny. I, I, I pray with patience. Uh, and it still sometimes shocks me that I say that because I can remember thinking, oh, my word, I would never in a million years do that. Um, and when I came back to practice in 2011 after a bit of a hiatus, um, uh, a sort of mentor-ish physician in my life, uh, I noticed they did that when I was sort of hanging out with them. And I thought, shame on me. I, I've never done that. I should. And um, and so I do. Before a surgery, I say to a patient, you know, I'm a praying kind of person, and I like to start a surgery with a prayer. Is that okay? Um, and only one time in my years can I remember a sort of a curmudgeon elderly woman said, well, what if I said no? Would you anyway? And I froze deer in the headlights <laughs> because she said, you should be willing to pray whether I like it or not. <laughs> um, and so I learned something in that, in that encounter. Yeah, I, I do pray with patience. Now, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, I, they'll say, sure. And I'll begin to raise my right hand to my forehead. And I'm praying silently to myself, please be Catholic, please be Catholic, please be Catholic. <laughs> um, but many of them are not. But I have never had a patient not appreciate um, me offering to pray with them. See, when, whenever I was in training, I got to follow Chris uh, on the OB rotation. <laughs> that struck me so much. I loved it. I said, I want to do that. Wow. And then, sure enough, here I go, grow up and do my little thing. And the only kind of surgical type stuff that I do are colonoscopies <laughs> and like very minor like skin biopsy type stuff, <laughs> both of which it gives a different connotation when you're praying. Yes, like, yes. Why are we praying before this colonoscopy? Yeah. Is there something that I don't understand? I thought this wasn't a big I deal. this was easy. Why do you need yeah. to invoke, right? So I, I pray a little bit in my head. Yeah. Um, but I'll bet in your practice, you would have more of an... In and for those students listening who have an interest in primary care, you would probably have more of an opportunity when you're in the midst of crisis, yes, uh, of family crisis, Plenty of ethical dilemmas. Yeah, I always it, it it's not meant to be kind of a uh, a dark humor thing, but I kind of keep a little bit of a tally of how many people cry every day mm. uh, as oh. a good thing for me uh, because you've touched something, you you brought something out, and yeah. really the thing that they wanted to talk about because a lot of times people come in and we're talking tangentially, look, I've got like 15 minutes max. Yeah. So you got to get to the heart of the issue yes. and bring it out quickly. And, and whenever there's tears, it's like, okay, this is exactly what they wanted to talk about. Mm. And those are the times when, when prayer comes naturally. And there's so many times that I tell people I'll continue praying for them as well. And so that's something we, we remember in our rosary at night, my family does. And and that's, uh, I think it means a lot to people. So you, you, listeners, you may not have that opportunity as a, as a learner, but just remember later on, you will have that opportunity and, and stake out that territory because it, it's there for the taking and it makes a difference. Yeah, when I'm you know operating in my office on patients, you're right, it seems like it would be too much. So I, I pray silently for each patient when I'm operating. I also pray the second decade of my rosary every morning for my patients. Mm -hmm. um, but I've had patients who say, can I pray with you, doctor? Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, I say, certainly, go ahead. And you know, I don't know what my staff thinks about it. They've never said anything to me, but they've never. I actually get that a lot, you know, especially after they know that you're a believer. Um, people a lot of times will ask to, to lead us in prayer. Maybe mm -hmm. I got a lot of pastors or something, I don't know. But mm -hmm. that that's something that I'm always so excited to see because especially after the patient brings it up, man, it's so much easier to bring faith into the conversation because it impacts a lot of our physical health as well. So how many times has a patient accidentally called you Father Malali or Father Stroud? Now, let me think about that. Uh, never. Really? Yeah, I don't get that either. <laughs> oh, I, I've that? at least twice. Oh, man. <laughs> See, it's your vibe, Tom. Oh, I don't know. You guys have much more of a vibe of that than hey, I do. It's that year you spent in seminary. Yeah. That's what it is. When I got kicked out. Yes. But <laughs> something there. We, we also don't try and bless them, Tom, after the, after the surgery. So. Uh, oh, it's those holy water dispensers in my office. Right. They, I don't have those, by the way. So anyway, let's move right along to... Which one? How do you approach speaking with coworkers 
and I think this is from nurses, there was a nursing student ask, asking this, who have the mindset that they're just there for the paycheck. Mm-hmm. And they feel as though they have to deal with patients, especially if they're trying to get you to have that perspective as well. So somebody trying to bring you down to their level in that kind of environment, how would you advise these that's good. That's well, people. ignore them. That seems like one good <laughs> one piece of advice. You know, I think about Andrew mentioning, you know, sort of love and charity so much, but I think they really need to be approached with charity. Yeah. They're probably hurting. They're probably jaded. You don't know what kind of life experiences they have. That may be the perfect opportunity to evangelize just by your presence, uh, just by your positivity. Um, and let's face it, those those people that are, are walking in faith, they look differently. They act differently. There's a glow about them uh, in dark times. And so being there and, and not feeling that way, I think they that's probably a wonderful opportunity. You know, I think about some of the greatest nurses that I've seen. They just have a way about them. And when they're touching some patient, doing maybe the most mundane thing, uh, and, and I experienced this last year as a patient, mm. there was just something holy about them. They didn't yeah. say a word, but the dignity and the care and the respect that they show their patients by their touch and the way they treat them, it speaks volumes. I, I think that this is maybe the best question out of all the shows, <laughs> the two shows we did. Oh! Because I think this more. gets to the heart of trying to be a Catholic in healthcare. Um, at, at least my experience, this idea of having to deal with patients and get through the day, I think it's ubiquitous. I think yeah. at times we can all feel that way, and it's it's a natural feeling mm-hmm. because of the pressures of, Pressure. of the work, you know? Every single person you go into, you don't know if they're going to be happy, sad, mad, mad at you, scared, whatever. Yes. You're going to be met with a strong emotion, and you're going to be surprised because you don't know what's coming. So you're constantly going from laughing to crying to getting yelled at, trying not to yell back. You know, talk about the trivia question, physical assault. I mean, it's high stress because of the nature of the work. So the one thing that in secular medicine brings people together is we can get together and complain about that guy. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of the camaraderie is built. Mm -hmm. So this is your big opportunity. Your big opportunity is to raise people up. And I I try and focus on this a lot with my coworkers because I have to work with them every day. I want it to be a pleasant place. it's up to you, you know. One one of the th- things they say in marriage prep all the time is that love is obviously a choice and it's a decision. And so, long after any kind of you know bright-eyed and bushy-tail emotions are gone, you decide to love someone. And that's the same way we really have to deal with patients. Mm. Is that when you're feeling that way, good grief, I, how am I going to get through the day? And when other people are verbalizing that, it you are the one who is there to lift them up and say, you know what, they must be having a really bad day because, you know, I've interacted with them before and they're, they've been great. Yeah. Or, you know, you got to remember they just lost so-and-so or, or what have you to reorient the conversation to lift people up. And that, I think that's the number one way you can be Catholic on a daily basis because you're not going to get all the glitzy, you know, kind of ethical stuff all the time. I don't know if glitzy is the right word. Yeah. <laughs> I was but, like uh, glitzy. But you'll, but, but you'll get these juicy. opportunities all the time. This yeah. is the grind. This is the opportunity where you can really build graces and, and lead mm. people to God. I would like to, to build on that. I think you're absolutely right in what you say. I'm putting myself in the shoes of the person asking that question because I've lived this life for the last three plus decades. And that is if you do not have an identity that is strongly grounded in knowing, not in just in your head, but in your heart, that God loves you unconditionally. Doing those things are virtually impossible. Mm. So the most practical thing you can do is, you know, let down those barriers, learn about what it is that's keeping you from knowing that you are unconditionally loved. Because when you do, those things that Andrew just recommended will be a great joy for you to do. You will not be able to wait to do those things. You will see all the good that can come from it instead of worrying, how are you going to do this? Mm. It makes such a difference. And we all have different backgrounds, all of you listening do, but that is foundational. If you're going to be interacting, if you're peopling well, it will be because you know who loves you and how much. That's a great yeah. point. And you know, a muscle, a muscle grows by stress. 
Uh, yes. And it's, you don't grow as a person uh, dealing with the easy ones. Yeah. You grow dealing with the tough ones, and that's an opportunity. And, you know, thank God for presenting that difficult patient to you or that difficult coworker um, because that's your opportunity to actually do something. It's, it's kind of the acceptance and commitment stuff. Like yes. every time I work with Sue, she's going to have a bad day. How did I know? I don't even ask. It's going to be a bad day. Yeah. So instead Sorry, of saying Sue. Sue's going to give me a bad day, say, I am going to have a little competition with myself to see how I can raise Sue up today um, <laughs> against her will. And I'm, I'm going to be I've made a decision to do this, uh, regardless of how everybody's feeling. And you'll be surprised at how awesome it works. I have a Sue in my life. And I said to Sue <laughs> recently, uh, I said, Sue, you know that last thing you said? I, it was almost positive, and I just <laughs> I want to I just want to call you out and say thank you for <laughs> you know for that. It so. does get to be lighthearted after a while because they know too, and they can't help it. You know, they might come grumbling, but if they leave smiling, like she laughed, work. she laughed in that yeah. case. Yep. Very. Yeah, it reminds me of one of the quotes from um, from Kevin Majors. You know, talking about acceptance and commitment, and that was the universe is not optimized for our pleasure. <laughs> but it is optimized for our growth and virtue. So all these opportunities we have are the stressors that are meant to help us be that person. And let's see, we have a couple minutes for one last question. Yeah, you know, in the spirit of the day, uh, the news, all things pronoun, um, I can't believe I'm actually bringing this up, but I've encountered this a few times. Mainly, maybe it's because of my OBGYN specialty, but how do you respond to this hot button topic now of someone asking you to use a, a certain pronoun or not. Um, and as I read that question, I, I, I thought about um, names. You know, uh, no one calls Dr. Mullally Andy. You go by Andrew. And when you introduce yourself, often you correct someone and say, please call me Bob. Or right. I would say, please call me Chris. No one calls me Christopher. So if they choose to call me Christopher or Chris because I asked them to, that's being polite. It's nice. Right. But there is certainly no ethical or moral or legal obligation for them to call me what I prefer to be called. Um, they may tell me as the physician, no, call me Elise. And I'll say, okay, Mrs. Brown, because that's how I'm most comfortable. Right. Uh, and we both understand that we have different comfort levels. Mm -hmm. That's how I approach the pronoun question. And when I was asked by point blank by a patient, that's what I said. I said, you know, I respect that you have a preference in what you're called. I have a preference in what I'm called, but you call me whatever you feel most comfortable calling me and I'll do the same to you. And as long as we both do that out of respect, I think we'll be okay. Um, and the person immediately yielded to that, which I was, I was pleased. I didn't want to go any further, but have you encountered that at all? I do, and, and you know, all the pronoun situation, that's like third person. Exactly. Right? You don't call somebody by a pronoun. So I, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. mean, that's Unless talking, it's you. <laughs> talking about someone. I try not to talk about people as <laughs> there much you as go. I can right. as a rule. Yeah. Uh, I talk to people, mm. you know. How are you doing today? Um, as you, peoples, not as genders, but as people. Yeah, yeah. tell me about how I can help you. And uh, a lot of times in, in honest interactions, it, it never goes further than that. I mean, mm. if somebody's got an ax to grind, that's when you get into trouble. But And a lot, of, a lot of times patients do, so there's no hiding from that. But in honest interactions, how can I help you? Mm. And on that note, we'll uh, head off into the final segment of this show after the break here on Dr. Doctor. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor, and welcome to the answer to this episode's trivia question, category, nursing isn't for wimps, just in case listeners who thought it was. So in the prior year in this study, what percent of patients have been told, what percent of nurses have been told by a patient, you are not going to be my nurse today? 27% of them were told, one in every four had a patient tell them that. Second part of it, what percent of those same nurses in the previous two years had been verbally assaulted or bullied by a patient? Just over half. That's 54%. remarkable. 54%. Yeah. And then finally, the really sad one is in the same two years, what percent of nurses had been physically assaulted by a patient? One in four, 24%. Yeah, I totally believe it. Nursing is hard work and... It, you know, patients, we are meeting them at a hard time in their life, yes. whatever the inter interaction is. <clears throat> but this, I, I think, is what we see from the commoditization of medicine. Mm. Ah. Is that this is a business transaction. 
customers always right mentality. Yeah. I bet you it was different when you had a bunch of nuns doing this for free or for donations or whatever. <laughs> um, there's a lot less entitlement, but that attitude among patients is so common. So you got to have thick skin and, and be able to see through it, yeah. see Jesus in them. You know, I'd speak to specifically the first one that say, I don't want you as my nurse, you know, about one in four. That's going to happen. There's going to be a chemistry mismatch that yes. happens. And I think as a nurse or as any healthcare provider, you can't let that be a referendum on your value. Uh, there are patients who really like Andrew and they don't like me and they're they're fine. That's okay. It and, is. and I can't let that bring me down. I got to move on to the next encounter. Anybody who tells me that I don't want you to care for me, I'm thinking, honestly, kind of thank you for being so upfront. <laughs> yes. Because it's going to get ugly down the road if we try and force it. So well like, yeah, thank you for, for bringing it up. <laughs> All Great. right. And I'm bringing up the top three takeaways. Chris, what's your yeah, what a great uh, what a great list of questions. It's really been a pleasure to speak to these this particular group of listeners. I think my top uh, my top takeaway. I'm stealing from Andrew. He's really impressed me that this this idea that charity and love have to prevail. Uh, so whether you're dealing with a patient who doesn't like you or whether you're dealing with colleagues that are maybe got a proverbially on the wrong side of the bed or permanently, we've got to <laughs> deal with them uh, from a position of love and charity. That's what we're called to. We're not called to a particular profession. We're called uh, to evangelize through through charity and through love. And we need to remember that, all of us. I, I guess for my point, I, w I would just give a word of encouragement. I know some of these things are kind of uh, – they're the concerns. That's the questions we got. So yeah. these are our concerns about the bad stuff. But ultimately, I, I think we've all said on the show, and for me, for sure, I would do it again in a heartbeat and really just trying to reframe your mind to look at challenges as opportunities for your growth, uh, sanctification, offer it up, help people. Those are all good things that people people go out and look for. So they come to you even easier. Mm. And and finally, I would say form yourself in a community of love. You need to have people around you who love you for who you are. Medical training is challenging. And you also need somebody that's going to help you plumb the depths of a prayer life, getting close to Jesus. Spend time in, um, you know, sun exposure, adoration, you know, <laughs> yeah. once a week for an hour. I would strongly recommend that. And you know what? Thanks for listening to us for yet another episode of Dr. Doctor. You can find this and all our episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. And while you're there, you can click on Episode Archive, and you can watch over 300 of our older episodes. Yes, and we even have a YouTube link now because we're that cool. <laughs> click on that link at the top of the drdoctor.org homepage. <laughs> this is Dr. Tom McGovern. And this is Dr. Chris Stroud. And I'm Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr.